You're listening to Ethnic Life Story, Trail of Trees, Episode 16, Josefina Rabar. Ethnic Life Story Trail of Trees is a tribute project started by Springfield businessman Jim Malden in the early 2000s. Then, more than a decade later, the project reached Friends of the Garden at Nathaniel Green Close Memorial Park in Springfield, Missouri. Black gum trees were planted in 2012 at the northern edge of the park and symbolized the legacy left by ethnic community leaders. Each tree stands for an Ozark citizen who has left a lasting positive impact on their community through service, generosity, and tenacity. Each story is maintained and immortalized by a story keeper who has volunteered to ensure the legacy of the storyteller lives on. Maria Josefina Ognar Salazar Rabar. Here in the United States, for my legal name, I just use Josefina S. Rabar. Maria is my maternal grandmother's first name. All three daughters in my family have Maria as the first name. Maria could be in honor of Mary, Mother of God, as she is greatly honored in our church. Maria could be in honor of Mary, Mother of God, as she is greatly honored in our church. I was born at home on December 7, 1943, in Manila, Philippines, with a midwife tending to my mother during my birth. I was born exactly two years after the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor. The Philippines, where I grew up, is an archipelago nation made up of 7,100 islands. It is in southeastern Asia, between the Philippine Sea and the Chinese Sea, the three major Philippine island groups are Luzon, Visayas, and Mindanao. Manila is located in the central part of Luzon. The result of 300 years or more of Spanish rule is the Spanization of Filipino names and incorporation of coined Spanish words in the language. Long before the Spaniards conquered the Philippines, Chinese merchants were already trading with the Filipinos. Today, Chinese immigrants are the largest ethnic settlers in the islands. Their influence permeates the food, words, and customs. Filipinos speak American English as a second language. It is the language used in business and schoolwork. Filipinos have a knack of combining Tagalog and English words in a sentence. Hawaiians speak Pidgin English, and Filipinos do Taglish. Central Luzon, where I grew up, is a plain, but as you go to the north, there are mountain ranges where you can see volcanoes. Mountains with volcanoes can also be seen to the south. In Mindanao, where we lived from when I was four to seven years old, I remember seeing these mountains, a volcano actually, when I woke up in the morning. There are several active volcanoes in the Philippines. The Philippines is still rich in natural resources. We have a lot of timber, petroleum, nickel, cobalt, silver, gold, salt, and copper. 19% of the land is arable, 12% has permanent crops, and 4% is permanent pastures. 46% is forests and woodland. So that means there is still a major percentage of people who make their living by mining and farming. 
In addition to these ways of making a living, there are many service professionals, especially in the cities. In Manila, there are lots of educational facilities, medical schools, engineering schools, teacher education schools. But in the Philippines, the schools operate only for a profit and mass-produce graduates with no regard for how many people are needed in a given profession. That means many of the educated people must go outside of our country to find work. In addition to the United States, some go to the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, and Europe to find work. In some Asian and European countries, Filipino college graduates can only find work as domestics. It is a big problem that the government has yet to correct. We consider ourselves to be lucky to have been able to come to the United States. Manila is an old, old city. It was probably built when the Spanish came in the 1500s. There is a walled city called Intramuros, where the Spaniards built their government houses. They separated themselves from the locals. When the Americans came, they built up the city. They introduced democracy with the president, executive, legislative, and judicial branches, so we have federal courthouses, presidential palace, and congressional buildings around the city. That was how the Americans planned the city, but as soon as they left, there was no zoning and planning, so houses and businesses were all mixed together, creating traffic problems. One of the distinct forms of public transportation in the city is the jeepney. After Philippine independence, there were a lot of green army jeeps left behind. What the Filipinos did was extend the jeep so you could make it into a passenger vehicle. It is similar to a bus, but it is still a jeep, like a car is extended into a limousine. Each owner would paint or do artwork on the side of the jeepney. It is a Catholic country, so most owners would paint religious artwork. That is how I got around when I was in school. The commute from my house was two jeepney rides away. It was very affordable transportation. My father's name was Roman Salazar. He was born October 6, 1910, in the Providence of Albay. My father was a city boy. When he was young, his family moved to Manila. He is the oldest of 14 siblings. Seven died in childhood or were miscarried, and seven survived to adulthood. He was the first one in his family to get a college degree. My father and one of his brothers were sent to college by his parents, but others put themselves through college or vocational schools. My mother's name is Bienvenida Ochner. Bienvenido means welcome in Spanish. She was born on November 14, 1914, in the town of Samal, Bataan. She is the oldest of nine children. The traditional role of the eldest daughter in Philippine society is to be responsible for the care of younger siblings. This is necessary in large families where the mother cannot look after all the children. She helped her mother prepare meals, feed, bathe, and dress her siblings. She commanded respect and obedience from her siblings because she looked after their well-being, and she acted as an intermediary between them and their parents, especially when house rules were too strict. Mother's deputy mother role was a good training for her next role as a wife. It is customary for newlyweds to live with the husband's family for at least a year. Breaking off from parents can provoke an emotional crisis. Filipino parents determine when the couple can be on their own. What we Americans prize as independence is frowned upon by Filipinos because it could be interpreted as a move that resulted from a disagreement in the family. Mother was a good student. She loved school and was outstanding in math. 
She would have been a great teacher, too, but being the oldest and a girl, she was sent to vocational school after high school to learn dressmaking. The next three sisters did the same. They had a thriving dress shop when my mother met and married my father. When mother left, the second daughter took over and she moved the shop to Manila. There, her business flourished. Because of her talent, determination, and good fortune, she was able to send the younger siblings to college. My father had a degree in electrical engineering from one of the best public universities in the Philippines. His class of ten was one of the first to graduate. After graduation, he wanted to experience life in the country, so from Manila he became the town engineer in Samal. The story is that he was checking the newly acquired electric power to see who was cheating. Maybe he had heard that my mischievous grandfather was cheating. Father was checking the electricity in their house when he saw my mother scrubbing the floor. That's how they met. He moved around to other places, but when he married my mother, they settled in Manila, where he served as a city engineer until the war. Eight hours after bombing Pearl Harbor, the Japanese invaded the Philippines. Since my father worked for the government, he was in danger. There is the story that when the Japanese knocked at my grandmother's house, where they were living, fortunately he was not there. I think my father had heard that the Japanese were rounding up government officials, so he and mother had already fled to her mother's family in Bataan. The story goes that as they were fleeing, they could not use the regular route, but had to go the river route. As they were crossing a river, they were stopped by a Japanese sentry. To keep the sentry away, they made up a story that my father had dysentery, so my family was able to escape. One of his friends, another government employee, was at home when the Japanese soldiers came, and he was killed. In the late 1940s, when I was four years old, my father took the job as the engineer at the Del Monte Pineapple Packing Plant in Mindanao. When we moved back to Manila, he worked for the Caltex Oil Company. I think his job was in another province, so we could only see him on weekends for about five years. With ten members in the family, Mother really knows how to stretch a peso. We had three square meals a day, and I remember quite a selection of clothes in my closet, although we seldom shopped for clothing. What she did was take my aunt's used clothes and alter or cut them to my size. I remember when my sister, Martha, was going to the school of nursing, Mother took a roll of cash from her safety box and paid her tuition in full for four years. I call my dad Mr. Clean. I remember his shirt and trousers always looked pressed, with never a wrinkle in them. He would leave the house in the morning, and when he came back from work, his clothes still looked the same. He liked to read. In his private corner of the house, where his desk and bookshelves were, everything was neatly arranged. He bought his first car when I was in high school. It was a black Pontiac with a light green leather interior. Every Saturday, I remember Dad would lead my three brothers to the garage. The whole day would be taking apart the removable parts of the engine to wash and clean them, so we had the cleanest engine on the block. I wish I had followed them to learn about cars too, but girls didn't do that. My father passed away in his early 70s from a massive coronary. My mother is still living in the same house where I grew up. My parents' treasures are their children. There are eight of us. I am the third oldest. I have two older sisters and five younger brothers. Education was the best gift my parents gave us. Their proudest achievement was putting each and every one of us through college. My parents expressed their love for us through actions more than words. 
They sacrificed so much to raise us and put us through school. They encouraged all of us to seek better opportunities for ourselves. Five of us found those opportunities here in the United States. Our parents visited us in the States in the late 70s. It was wonderful to be able to show them this very different culture, land, and climate that I had made my home. I still remember the very first time they saw snow. My mom was so excited she wanted to collect it up in a cup and make snow cones. The most notable difference they found between the Philippines and the U.S. was the absence of high concrete fences. In the Philippines, the richer one is the higher one's fence, for both security reasons and to keep nosy neighbors away. These fences were often topped with jagged shards of glass to prevent anyone from climbing them. All in all, they create a very ominous and threatening atmosphere. Here, my parents were delighted to find that we did not need fences to feel secure and that our neighbors waved or even stopped by to visit. It made them happy to find such a sense of community so far from home. On a typical day in the Philippines, no one is allowed to sleep late. We wake up very early. Each one is assigned a chore. I usually do the house cleaning, and that means particularly the floor, because we had hardwood floors. We have a Philippine floor polisher, which is made of the outer husk of a coconut, cut in half and then shaped to fit the arch of the foot. I scrubbed back and forth with them on my feet. The girls also do the ironing and the cooking. The boys did the yard work and the errands. For entertainment, when we lived in Mindanao, where father worked at the pineapple packing plant, we saw movies on Saturday nights. Since it is an American company, we saw lots of cowboy and war movies, with stars like John Wayne and Alan Ladd. One time I fell asleep in one of these war movies, and I was punished. No movies for a month. Because of seeing these movies, my brother and I would play soldiers after school in the ravine behind our house. The house in Mindanao was provided by the company. It was a bungalow with a porch in the front. The living room and dining room were on one side, with two bedrooms on the other side. We had a kitchen and a bathroom, and for the first time, a flushing toilet. We always had the same rules. All of the children were best seen and not heard. We only speak when spoken to. You are a bad child when you talk back or express your opinion. You are a good child when you are quiet, follow orders, and are helpful. I shared a room with my two older sisters and my younger brother, four of us at that time. The only pet I remember is my father tried to have a pet goat. He wanted to experiment with making goat cheese. I remember mother's rose garden in the front yard. She loves flowers. There were vegetables in the backyard, peanuts and green beans. Also, I remember an avocado tree because I climbed it often. When I was five years old, I started the first grade. I knew how to read before the first grade because before we went to Mindanao, my mother sent me to a reading school where I learned how to read Sea Spot Run. One of my babysitters who took me to school and picked me up gave me a gift of one of these books. After I had read it, I told him to return it and to get me another one. At the school in Mindanao, we had regular classes for each grade, one through six. It is called the Plantation School. It looks like what you may have seen in Hawaii, built on stilts with a corrugated tin roof. That is where we learned how to read, write, and do arithmetic. I usually walked to school because on the compound where we lived, the plant was at one end with the park behind it and the row of houses, church, high school, and elementary school around the park. I just walked across the park to school. Most of the time, I would walk home for recess and lunchtime. 
Mostly, the religious holidays were celebrated. I remember having cake on birthdays when I was young, but as we got older, we celebrated with noodles for a long life. I was closer to my brother when I was young than to my sisters. For some reason, my sisters lived with my grandmother in Samal for a while when they were young and started their elementary school there. My brother and I were not school age yet, and so we were at home the whole time and played together. I remember one time I got my very first spanking because I had given my brother a haircut. Someone gave my dad a haircut at home, and I said, well, that looks fun, and so I did it to my brother. Oh boy, did I get it. When we moved from Mindanao, my parents bought a house in the outskirts of Manila in the next town called Zakon City. At that time, the city seemed so far away, two or three jeepney rides. I remember it looked like a long house. In the front is the living room with a sofa and my father's desk and his bookshelves. Up the stairs is a big room where my mother and father had their bed. Up a few more steps was the space where the boys sleep. The girls sleep on a mat on the floor next to my mother and father's bed. Further back down some steps was the dining room and kitchen. That was our house until I graduated high school. While I was in college, they tore down that old house, maybe because of termites, and built the house that my mother now lives in. In the Philippines, they call it a one-and-a-half house. Living room, dining room, and kitchen are on one level with the four bedrooms, two on top of the other two, and a bathroom in between each pair of bedrooms. With nine members in the family, we were excited about having two bathrooms instead of just one. The school system in the country did not have kindergarten yet. I went to first grade through sixth grade, no junior high, and then to high school. I stayed in the public school system throughout the elementary years. My parents decided I should go to a Catholic all-girls school for high school. I always loved to read books. A particular American literature teacher got me started reading poetry. I especially liked The Raven and Annabelle Lee by Poe. For some reason, I just fell in love with poetry. As a teenager in the summer, I would go to work in my aunt's dress shop. She would let me do the hemming of some garments. She had many wedding gown orders, so sometimes I would sew beads and lace on wedding gowns. During high school and college years, what she would pay me was my pocket money for the whole year. There is general practice in the Philippines that sons and daughters are considered adults at the age of 18. Usually, parents would invite families and close friends to a get-together to honor an 18-year-old daughter. What I really wanted was to be a nurse, like my second sister. But because I had five brothers after me, my mother said she could not afford to have another nurse in the family. Come to think of it, I could have insisted, because I was the high school salutatorian, second in my class. I was only 16 years old when I finished high school, so I couldn't plead the case to my parents. My older sister said, okay, take these classes. Here's a degree that when you finish it, you can apply to any hospital in the United States. That was dietetics. I liked studying dietetics, but I didn't like working as a dietitian afterwards. This was a four-year course for a bachelor's degree with a major in nutrition. I worked as a dietitian when I came to the United States in Lorain, Ohio, and in New York City. I lived with my parents until age 23 when I left to come to the United States to marry my sweetheart. After college, I did a one-year dietetic internship at one of the hospitals in Manila. At the same time, my husband-to-be, Artesso, was doing his medical internship. I was visiting a patient when Artesso saw me and tried to get to know me, trying to hand me a piece of paper to write my name and phone number on it. 
Of course, I refused to do that. You see, no one had ever courted me before. I thought that was rude. I tried to avoid him for a number of weeks. I immigrated to the United States in 1967 to marry Artesso Rabar. He was already living in Lorain, Ohio, on an exchange program for medical graduates and training for his pathology specialty. We were married in Cleveland, Ohio, nine days after I arrived. Artesso did all the preparation for the wedding. I brought my sleeveless wedding dress from the warm Philippines, not realizing that December in Cleveland would be so cold and snowy. We had to buy a coat for me after I arrived. I have been married 35 years. Artesso is a great guy. When I met him, he made me feel beautiful for the first time in my life. He said when he saw me for the first time in the hospital, there was like an aura around me. Being married to him now for a long period of time, I know he's a good provider for our children and me, and also for his mother and father. He never fails to be the first one to respond when his siblings need help. I really admire him for his honesty and loyalty, not only to his family, but also to his profession. Sometimes when I think as though a situation has a practical solution, Artessa will step in and say it has to be done this way because of the principle of the thing. Eileen, our oldest, is married to a wonderful man, her childhood sweetheart, Dennis Dressler. They live in Chicago and are both very busy with their careers. She is an architect and he is a lawyer. Whenever they want to unwind, they listen to music. Eileen plays her cello and Dennis plays his guitar. Rowena, our middle daughter, loves to tackle the challenge of the fast-paced world of internet technology. She lives in San Francisco and commutes to work in Redwood City. A consummate nature lover, she balances work by hiking, biking, and running regularly, as well as through her daily yoga routine and her newfound passion for the drums. Farah, our youngest daughter, has a real passion for creating music. I think she will be the next Carly Simon or Tori Amos. Recently, she recorded and released a CD with six of her original songs. She currently lives in New York, but is moving to Los Angeles in the near future. We have a common last name, but our zip codes span the continental U.S. My daughters live hundreds of miles away, but we stay connected through the internet and our weekly checkup phone calls. I'll admit it's tough being so far away from my kids, but I can't help but be a proud mother hen when it comes down to it. I think my family must have an exploratory spirit pulsing through its veins. As a young woman, I left the Philippines to make a new life for myself in the U.S., so it is only fitting that my daughters should branch out and find their own paths in new places as well. They never cease to amaze me. Our girls, who were once seemingly incapable of fixing their own beds, are now surprisingly self-sufficient, paying their rent, utilities, and credit card bills, and being remarkably knowledgeable about current events and goings-on in the world. When Art and I come to visit, instead of the mess and mayhem that we knew so well when they were younger, we are greeted by tidy living spaces and delicious welcome dinners. And they plan such wonderful visit activities for us, too. Eileen gave us an architectural tour of Chicago, Rowena took us to watch an impressive San Francisco ballet performance, and Farah brought us to see Mozart's Don Giovanni at the Met. My girls are all grown up, and I like it. Sure, I experienced empty nester syndrome for a while when they'd all moved out of the house, 
But now I realize it's time to rejoice and be proud because my daughters have grown into confident, self-sufficient, and independent adults. They're so independent that when one of them is sick, I hear about it days later when it's water under the bridge, so I get no time to worry about their health or if they're eating right or getting good care because they won't allow me to any longer. All I can do is shrug and chalk it up to the natural order of things. I'm not so much saddened by the fact that they no longer depend on me as pleasantly bemused that they're doing all right on their own two feet. And so far, I like having more space to myself and more peace and quiet at home now. My daughters will keep me young forever. I will never tire of listening to their bright, innovative ideas. Every moment with them is a special one, and it leaves me with a smile in my heart. When I came to the United States, immigration had opened quotas for people from Asian countries to come, mainly professional people, like nurses, doctors, and dietitians. The president wanted to improve the health system, but U.S. medical schools couldn't fill the need, so they recruited from other countries. This was a great opportunity for us because of the oversupply of medical professionals in the Philippines. I applied and was granted a green card, which means I can immigrate to the United States and apply for permanent residence here. I didn't know at the time that Artesa's plan was not to stay, but to return to the Philippines to practice in his province. But there was a turn of events. President Marco was in power in the Philippines, with marital law in place, so there was a feeling that the freedom of people was limited. Art said that it isn't good to go back home to raise the children. Marital law should be a temporary measure only, but Marco's reign of control extended over 20 years. That kept us from going back. So after finishing his studies, Artesso decided to volunteer with the U.S. Army for two years. First, he was assigned to Fort Carson at Colorado Springs. In boot camp, he tried to switch with someone else, but couldn't. So we ended up in Colorado and found out that it is a really beautiful place. During his tour of duty, Art was able to become a naturalized citizen. The following year, I received my naturalization papers. He had his swearing-in in Colorado, and I had mine in New Jersey. As a cradle Catholic, religious traditions and ceremonies have always been a part of my life. Ever since I could remember, I've attended services and did all the rituals that Catholics do, like fasting and abstinence during Lent and Advent. However, I didn't feel the depth of meaning in these rituals until six years ago when I joined an interdenominational women's Bible study group called Bible Study Fellowship International. For the first time in my life, I really came in contact with women who are very in touch with their spirituality, and learning from their example and wisdom, I came closer to our Lord Jesus and to God. In my experience with Catholicism, especially with how it is practiced in the Philippines, I felt my attention was scattered among the many venerable saints that we celebrated, and thus my devotion was divided, unfocused, and confused. Through my Bible study group, I feel I am better able to focus on God alone, and thus has helped me to become a better Christian. I often think on the phrase, God is not done with me yet. I like to visualize it as me being rough around the edges, with God always beside me, patiently smoothing those edges with gentle nudges. I often learn lessons in humility and faith, through everyday situations in which I know He has a hand. During the Spanish occupation, most Filipinos were forced to change their natural surnames to Spanish ones. My family was no exception. We were forced to change our name from Ong to Salazar. 
The loss of our true name has since confused our sense of family history and identity. My brothers, who carry this given name Salazar, still experience this rejection as a result. For instance, my brother Roman Jr., who works a lot with Latinos in the Chicago area, constantly gets questioned about his ethnicity. How can you be named Salazar when you look Chinese? They ask him. What it feels like is, are you authentic? Are you in touch with your real ethnicity? Being in touch with our ethnicity is only half of it. Being an immigrant, I've constantly felt the pressure of having to both retain my ethnic heritage and simultaneously assimilate wholeheartedly into American society. It has been frustrating, scary, and downright tiring at times. I believe in multiculturalism. I believe that America was founded on the idea that one country can be greatly enriched by many customs, languages, and ideas that its people bring from other cultures. I don't believe that we have fully realized the basic concept of learning from, respecting, and accepting one another's differences upon which America was founded. It is still very apparent today that European immigrants who bring their culture, traditions, and ideas to this country are readily welcomed to the American culture, but Asians and Pacific Islanders continue to be written off as foreigners, even those who were born here. Many years ago, I decided to do something about these cultural misconceptions. Educating the children of Springfield about people of different ethnic and cultural backgrounds has been my goal since then. I have been very involved in a multicultural project sponsored by the Springfield Public School System. Our first project was to fill a trunk with artifacts that represent our respective cultures. Through these trunks, children and parents alike get a glimpse of the daily experiences of people from these parts of the world. Another project I took part in was a Filipino Cultural Day at the Discovery Center in December 1998. There were many Philippine items on display. The project I most recently finished was putting together a permanent exhibit of collected artifacts and historical information about the Philippines and the contribution of famous Filipino Americans. There is a Philippine proverb that translates, You cannot see your future unless you reconcile with your past. I feel that children and parents of ethnic minorities should feel comfortable in their own skin and their identities so that they can reach their full potential as vibrant members of this community. People of Asian heritage are not allowed to assimilate into American society as quickly as Europeans simply by virtue of their skin color. But by working to change these views and educating our children to respect all of our origins and the experiences that shape our views, I hope to make our future as a society a little brighter and our world a little better, even if it is one child at a time. This is an edited version of Rabar's story. You can read each story in its entirety at thelibrary.org or by clicking the link in the description of this post. The storykeeper for Josefina Rabar is Deanne Holt. Music is Bach Cello Suite No. 3 in C Major by Colin Carr at freemusicarchive.org under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivative, 3.0 United States license. Story excerpts edited and read by Dinah Dudenhafer. Thank you.